Negative trim set, check your heading north, light heading at 074. Check your altimeter set, 2946, corrected center point elevation, 0 feet. Check your barrel running 0, check your SDS 1230, 3034. Check your field, check your speed up, lights out. Welcome to the Renegade Aviator Radio Show with David Costa. Bob, Mo, updated when you're done. Two soldiers are fine. We are the airfield and airspace. You are clear for takeoff. Have a good one. Thanks, Mo. Clear for takeoff. Check your parker brake off. Check your trim set. Check your nozzle steering on. Maneuver. Damn it. Half square face. Left turn out. Let's run them up. In the air and on air. The Renegade Aviator combines jet airshow performances and this radio show to promote aviation, excellence, overcoming obstacles, and achieving goals. Here he is, the Renegade Aviator, David Costa. All right, ladies and gentlemen, David Costa, the Renegade Aviator. This week, I've got another special guest, another airshow performer, and it's uh, Skipper. Heil, which is, uh, I'm going to get this wrong, it's an Irish spelling of a German name. Figure that one out. But Skipper, or John Heil, known as Skipper, call sign Skipper, flies really neat older airplanes at air shows. We have air show pilots each and every week to fly all kinds of different aircraft, but the theme is still the same. It's excellence demonstrated. And from somebody who used to own an AT-6 and fly an AT-6, I can tell you it's one of the more demanding airplanes to uh, fly. So, John, welcome to the Renegade Aviator Radio Show. Thanks for having me. John, tell us a little bit about with your air show. You've got a unique theme. It's something different, right? We see a lot of extras, a lot of pit specials, and of course, we see fighter jets. But you've got a unique aircraft, especially to this next generation coming up. Many people may not understand what a Harvard or an AT-6 is. Give us a little bit of an understanding of what you do. Well, quick background. The airframe itself, which everybody knows is a T6 SNJ or Harvard, was actually built for British in 39. And Uncle Sam showed up and said, hey, that's a pretty good looking trainer. We should have some of those. So they ended up jumping in on the order and eventually built some, depending on who you listen to, fifteen to 17,000 of them in uh, California, Dallas. And they were built under license by Norenden, which made bush planes in uh, Canada. That got shut down in 45 when the war was won, and then they started back up one production line in Dallas to make G models for the U.S. military and our allies to reconstitute their air forces. And the Canadians built 514 Mark IVs. I have the 206th one. One of the things that I kind of jokingly say on the air show stuff is that uh, you really can't kind of throw a dead cat without hitting a T-6 pilot that makes a lot of noise and a lot of smoke. So I tell people that I'm really a reenactor with the world's largest accoutrement. And uh, what I try to do is uh, give an eight-and-a-half-minute history lesson. My narration is, is really not once do I talk about any of the maneuvers that I'm doing. It's about the buildup from approximately 175,000 people to almost 2.4 million in the Air Corps during World War II and how in three years this country was able to produce that. 
And uh, if you go to those, uh, both on the, uh, the Facebook page and the website, uh, there are links that will get you to a YouTube video where you can hear, that's actually my youngest son, doing the narration. And the story that he tells is really just as much part of the act as the airplane is. That's pretty amazing. A lot of us today, it seems like we've been in war, and I'm using that in quotes, for 16, 20 years or so. But back during World War II, this aircraft, the aircraft that you fly, trained all those fighter pilots, all those bomber pilots, right? I mean, this was the trainer, and people with fairly low time were hopping into one of these aircraft that they can see you fly at the air shows. Well, and that story continues. Uh, today, the FAA has limited the airframe for various reasons, which could take a long time to talk about. But I can't do near what they used to do in World War II because she now has placards and warnings against such things. And to a certain extent, yeah, she's getting old. I understand. <laughs> but my flying routine, the maneuvers that you see me do, is actually based on kind of a conglomeration of the advanced single-engine stage check for the Navy, the Air Corps, and uh, the RAF. So I took those sequenced events that a student pilot or cadet would have to perform. This would be his final check ride. If he doesn't pass this one, here's your rifle, or you're painted gray in another way. It's no ordinary. And uh, if he passes, he gets his fighter. So taking all three of those services and putting them together and then taking out what the FAA won't let me do anymore like spins and stuff like that, I came up with this routine, and that's pretty much the sequence of events that I do. And uh, during that time, like I said, Matt's explaining about how all these people were recruited and trained. Before you got to the T-6, if you were going to be transporter bomber, you would have gone probably to a, a Beach 18, UC-78, which was a Cessna bamboo bomber, and there was a couple of little twin-engine airplanes that they used for multi-engine training. But everybody that flew single-engine, went through a T-6 or an S&J. Yeah, I've given a fair amount of instruction in them, but I know sitting in the back seat, I usually would joke with the students and said, if I can see the runway, we're probably not over it. <laughs> so I think it's... Same it's, it's, I use. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So people can come out and see this, and I think that's a lot of air shows. A lot of air shows are about history, and we forget that. We kind of forget, especially now, look how far we've gotten from the uh, Second World War. So I like what you said. It's an eight-minute history lesson, and it's one of the reasons that I tell people, bring your kids out to air shows, because they're not going to get this in school, at least the way we're showing it here. True. There's been a large debate with older airplanes for a long time about whether they're too priceless, they should only be in museums, and this type of thing, versus, no, you need to have them out there, they need to do this. And uh, the 909 crash of the B-17, Collins Foundation, kind of re-sparked that. That was the last one that I know of. And there's a different sound in the smells and all of that that goes with that airplane that you're not going to get from a static display in a museum. And to be able to hear that, and I, I was at Oshkosh in 1985 and they had 64 Mustangs up flying at one time. And if, if you can imagine the sound of 64 Merlins and then project that forward with an imagination of what a thousand-plane raid must look like in Berlin. That's amazing. And uh, there's a, there was an email going around, at least in the Warburg community, a little while ago that kind of cooked down the statistical survey that the Air, well, by then it would have been the U.S. Army Air Forces, did after World War II 
about how many of these airplanes did they build, how many of these airplanes. And it took in all false, both the Allied and Axis, the bad guys too. And uh, then the guy kind of stopped and said, and understand, that's just an airframe. That doesn't count how many spark plugs they had to make, how many tires they had to make, how many leather jackets they produced, how many GI belt buckles got made, all in the space of pretty much going from a depressed economy that was trying to work its way out of the Great Depression to pretty much the arsenal of democracy, to, to use that phrase. And this country was able to do that. And that that's amazing that, one, there was a common purpose, and two, just the production capability was absolutely hard to think about. So, Absolutely. Hey, look, we're coming up to the first break, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to come right back. Stay tuned for these messages. I'm talking to John Skipper Heil of Air Corps Aerobatics. This is David Costa. I am the Renegade Aviator. Stay right there. This is Skipper Heil of JMAT Aviation, and I'm with David Costa on the Renegade Aviator radio show. The U.S. Army Air Corps had about 175,000 men of all specialities and ranks. By 1943, there were over a quarter million pilots alone. They had to be trained, as did that of our allies. Between the Air Corps flying the T-6, the Navy flying the SMJ, and the British Commonwealth flying the Harbor, all the single-engine pilots would have finished up in an aircraft like the one you see before you. North American Aviation and others under license built over 15,000 888-366-5256. Ask a question, leave a comment. 888-366-5256. We can broker your current jet or turboprop, buyer's agents, management services that save you so much, it's like I'm working for free. Free consultations, of course. Call my office, leave a message, get my personal call back. 888-366-5256. Renegade Jets. What else would I call it? on air. Here he is, the renegade aviator, David Costa. 
All right, ladies and gentlemen, David Costa, the Renegade Aviator, this week talking about older airplanes, and that's not an insult. You know, it's okay if you call an airplane old because uh, that's when they were cool. The big round engine, I call them Harleys in the sky. As a guy that rides Harleys, big round engine is sort of like a V-twin, just a bunch of them put together. So we're talking to John Skipper Heil of Air Corps Aerobatics. And, uh, John, you are also rebuilding a primary trainer the Stearman. So guys went from the Stearman into the T6. Tell us a little bit about that restoration project and what you're looking to do with that. Well, it was uh, actually a, an agreement with my wife and uh, my youngest child, who is now a freshman in college. And uh, he wants to restore old Warbirds one day as opposed to work on modern stuff. So he's getting a mechanical engineering degree, and obviously he'll need an AMP do that. I got mine finally after 35 years of messing around with it six or seven years ago. So we came up with a deal that once he got his Eagle Scout, I could get another airplane. Mom graciously allowed us to do that. So I got a, a Stearman. Actually, what I got was a data plate and a collection of parts. And we, uh, we've we been working on it now for about two years. We, of course, high school senior, college freshman doesn't have a lot of spare time. His AMP, not mine. So I kind of have to sit on my hands sometime and, and wait for him to be here to do the restoration stuff. But the idea is to complete that and put it on the stable and do not only the advanced training kind of air show that I do in the T6, but also do a primary sort of training show in the PT. And uh, this particular airplane, we did some research. In fact, I just got an email last night from the Air Force Historical Survey I probably got that wrong, but it's the folks in Maxwell Air Force Base that keep all the records. And they have some records for my serial number, and they're going to send them to me. So I can't wait for those to show up. I do know right now that she was at Rankin Field, which is in Tulare, California, which I actually visited last winter. I was out at ICAS, the International Council of Air Shows Convention in Vegas, and it's a, a five-hour drive, but I live in Georgia. It was never going to be any closer than that. So I figured I'd... It's all relative. <laughs> and uh, it literally, we're, we're talking farming community in the bottom of the San Joaquin. And that's all it was uh, back then, too. Tex Rankin, who was a barnstormer before the war, set up a, a civilian CPTC type of training school. So it was Air Corps equipment and Air Corps check section. But the instructors and ground instructors were all civilian, uh, working for Rankin, what was it called, Rankin Aviation Academy or Rankin Aeronautical Academy. I, I, I got a patch on my desk downstairs. I have. And this airplane showed up in the summer of 1943. And in 1947, I think in conjunction with the formation of the U.S. Air Force, she was sanctioned off the books and given to the Philippines, where she spent some time, I'm still trying to track that down, and was sold to a Philippine civilian where she flew around the PI for a while. In uh, 95, she was taken apart and shipped back to the States, and has been apart ever since to about three or four owners until I got her. So what we're doing, we've done all new wood. All five panels have been redone. Everything was taken apart, cleaned up, primed, replaced if necessary. I've got a PT, uh, or, uh, I'm sorry, R670-6N engine going on it. Total. The only thing else that I know about the airplane is that Jack Webb could have flown her, Sergeant Friday from Dragnet, who was in class 44D until he washed out or had a Red Cross discharge. I'm still trying to figure that out, too. I understand that it's one of his 
parents was ill and he was an only child. So they, back then, uh, at that time in the war, that, that was reason enough to be allowed to leave because your, your family needed you. But he went through primary at Rankin, and uh, it was at least the airplanes were there at the same time. So it's impossible he could have flown it. There were 160-some planes on the field, so it may not have been likely, but it was possible. There's a you, kind of funny, you, you know, every class has its little, like a yearbook type of thing that, that we would be used to in our high school days. And Jack was like wing adjutant or uh, something. He was a pretty high cadet officer, and uh, but he looks exactly the same. The story you are about to see is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. This is Sergeant Friday. Just the facts, ma'am. Just the facts. Okay. Look, John, I got to stop us right there. We're heading on into the break, but a couple things I want you to do. I want you to go and visit John's webpage. It's aircoreaerobatics.net. How do you spell core? C-O-R-P-S. Aircoreaerobatics.net. Go there, check out John's webpage, Take a look at the videos of his Harvard, or T6, as some of you might know it. Take a look at all he's got there and go out and see him at an air show. The next thing I want you to do is call my office, 888-366-5256. Record what you like and don't like about the show. If I hear something that is interesting to me, I may put your recording on the air. And everybody who calls, if you leave me your mailing address, I will mail you a free Renegade Aviator Team Decal, 888-366-5256. Going into the break, a couple of points. Parents, look what John is doing. He's bringing his sons into his passion. I can't tell you how often we hear this every week. We are sick and tired of old airplanes, old cars, old boats, you name it. It's a bunch of old guys. I put myself in that category. A bunch of old guys that are the ones that are preserving this history. But parents, men, women, fathers, mothers, get your kids involved in the restoration of these historic treasures. Whether it be an aircraft, this is the Renegade Aviator radio show, so of course, I'm partial to aircraft, but we see this in old cars as well and anything collectible. So it's really cool to see what John is doing with his boys, getting them involved in restoring these pieces of history, these pieces of history to train young men to go fight and die in World War II. It is critical that we preserve these for future generations to see, to enjoy, to fly and passing it on. So parents, you matter. Parents, do something with your kids. I know I don't have to tell most of you this, but every once in a while we do need to pull the kids away from the iPhone and the iPad and actually get their hands dirty. This is David Costa. We will be right back. 888-366-5256. Here we go into the break. Stay right there. Hello, this is Skipper Heil with JMAD Aviation, and you can find out more information by visiting my website at aircoreaerobatics.net or the Aircore Aerobatics Facebook page. Make aviation great again. David Costa, the renegade aviator, 
We'll be right back. He told me to say that. Dave Costa, the Renegade Aviator, and I want to put a plug out for thousands of the local small airports all over this country. Chances are, wherever you live, there is a great airport right nearby. Go visit them and tell them that David Costa, the Renegade Aviator, sent you. These airports provide real value to local communities, and you will be amazed at who you will meet and what you will find there. No, David, I don't know why the FAA called. They just said they wanted to talk to you about that flyby. Oh, the host of the Renegade Aviator, David Costa. All right, ladies and gentlemen, David Costa, the Renegade Aviator, back with segment three. And I'm talking to John Heil. And John flies and fixes and works on and tells a story about old aircraft out of World War II, vintage years, the Stearman, the North American T-6. And John, we were talking in the earlier segments, one thing that hit me, and we don't see this enough is getting, we have an obligation, right, to get our kids involved and have them do more than just look at an iPhone all day long or think that the whole world is, there's nothing wrong about technology. But for a boy like yours, young man that's able to come and use his hands and really get into something, uh, there's plenty of work out there for people like that. We grew up using our hands, tearing stuff apart. Usually my dad would yell at me, I could take stuff apart really well, but didn't put it together very well. So give us a little bit of background about what you're doing with uh, your son, especially involved in um, projects like this. Well, I've got two. The youngest wants to restore old warbirds, his planned career in life. The oldest wants to build the next best thing. So they're both involved uh, in getting a mechanical engineering degree. And even though my youngest, well, Dad, all I need is an A&P. Yeah, and one day you're going to deal with a Fed who's not even going to take his feet off his desk and... Well, I'm an engineer. Yeah, me too. What else you got? And so just for that, you got to have that piece of paper on the wall. So you're going to go get an engineering degree if this is what you want to do. And, of course, he needs an A&P. So we worked out with Mom that I could get my fifth airplane, but uh, only two at a time. And uh, restore the Sturman and use that for his A&P time. So when we got it, it was a collection of dirty, dusty parts from underneath the carport down in South Florida. I didn't have an engine. I didn't have uh, most anything firewall forward. So my academic moments have, have told him how to go look up part numbers, how to read engineering drawings, how to do this. Well, what do we need to do now? And then uh, I actually piddled around airplanes for 35 years before I was lucky enough to run into a guy that helped me out actually getting my AMP so I can sign him off. And I've got some pretty good help out there uh, with me because the uh, I'm not, I have a certificate, but 
I'm not a mechanic. I, I know people who can do this in their sleep much better than I can. And uh, those guys are kind of mentoring, taking him under their wing. And uh, what I can't do, because they either don't have the equipment or the skills, they are doing for them. Like all the bushings on my Stearman at made and with a friend of mine's lathe, uh, who, you know, that breaks down to doing the math and to her, how to read the drawing, how to work the equipment. Okay, let's talk about metallurgy. Why are we using this particular alloy versus that alloy and that kind of stuff? And this was all before you even started the mechanical engineering degree. Was this a passion of his, John? People always ask me, they go, well, that's great, you know, because I always said, look, I always knew what I wanted to do. Was that similar with both of your boys? Did they know right off, look, this is what I want to do? Or was it part of just being in the environment of what you provided them? I think it was a little bit of both. I have a picture of both of my boys when they're reaching up to the bottom of the T6 because they're that small, wiping the oil off of it. And, uh, you know, when they were that age, they, and that, I, I just retired as an airline captain. And, you know, we wouldn't be an airline pilot like you. And I know you're going to be a doctor like your mother. You ain't going to be an airline pilot like me. <laughs> Hey, John, sir, I got to cut you off there. You know, the show clock does not sleep. So here we go at the end of the third segment. Ladies and gentlemen, stay tuned. This is David Costa. I am the Renegade Aviator. And here is John's website, aircoreaerobatics.net. You know how to spell core. C-O-R-P-S. Aircoreaerobatics.net. This is David Costa. I am the Renegade Aviator. Stay right there again. a dashingly handsome pilot without a big ego. <laughs> no. Hey, I'm a sales and marketing guy too. Shocking, I know. This radio show and my jet air show act is fun, but it really is about exposure and sales for your business. Millions of impressions to the people who want to do business with you. 888-366-5256. 30 plus years of sales and marketing. Call me. David Costa, a legend in his own mind. The Renegade Aviator, in the air and on air. Here we go. 
Hey, we're back. David Costa, the Renegade Aviator, 888-366-5256 or RenegadeAV, the number 8R.com. We are talking to John Skipper Heil of AirCoreAerobatics.net. I told you how to spell that in the last segment. So go back and listen, figure out how to spell it, AirCoreAerobatics.net. John Skipper Heil, Dave Costa, in the segment before this, we were talking about getting your kids involved, restoring old aircraft. And so let's just continue on with my interview with John Skipper Heil. Here we go. They kind of got convinced over seeing my dissatisfaction with the career, and, and that's a whole other issue. To, yeah, but I still want to be around airplanes. And, of course, they they went to air shows since they could walk with me and, and with Susan, uh, my wife. And uh, we do, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, being way out on the West Coast like you are, but uh, Geneseo, New York, the greatest show on turf. That is a great show. And uh, I've been doing that one since 2004. And... Uh, the boys have been going, that would make Matthew three and Jay uh, four and a half when we first showed up. And when they got old enough, I would go with Mike there and help empty the trash cans. Go do this, go do that, go go wipe down. There's a, a guy that flies a Sturman in there that I used to wipe the oil off of when I was 17, 30, some 40, whatever that is now, years ago. And so, yeah, go grab a rag and wipe down 7-9 Mike. And I convinced them. Because I know when I was a kid, I'd have killed to have a death like me. <laughs> exactly. I don't mean that to be egotistical, but as much as I was into airplanes, and, and while my dad finally did get a license, you know, back then, when I was their age, I didn't have air exposure they've got. But one of the things that I wanted to impress on them is that you're here, so take advantage of it. And, and I would point to the crowd and, you know, see all these people? You know, they paid money to come here. You, know, oh, yeah. you got in for nothing, so you're going to go do something to earn this. And if that was carrying water around to the guys that were flying in the show or emptying the trash cans or, you know, whatever it was, but they, they were volunteered to go do that stuff so that they could understand the amount of work and dedication that goes into this kind of stuff. That's missing today, right? Because the parents today either don't want to tell their kids, look, be of service, be of value, get your hands dirty, go out there and be that, I'm using quotation marks on my finger, lowly servant, right? That person, everybody today, or especially the younger generation, and maybe I'm being too harsh on them, but they walk in and they want to go from student pilot to airline pilot in two months. And back in this economy, I guess you can almost do that. And the same with fixing aircraft. We offer this all the time to people. Say, bring your kids out to the air shows. Or when I'm in my hangar, you got a kid that wants to learn about airplanes. I got three jets that we need to take care of. So thank you for doing that with your boys. And I think that's key to the people that come to the air shows to watch you is to know that story of what you're doing, right? We have a gap in our generation, I think, with all this stuff. I grew up kind of on a farm, and uh, that was just what you did. You worked. And uh, mechanically, that was interesting, and that's where I got off into this eventually. Came in here, my grandfather started in 1928 at a piddly little place called Pitcairn Aviation. In 1930, they changed their name to Eastern. He did 42 (laughs) years with Eastern Airlines. So... Smaller uh, line. <laughs> yeah. He fortunately was gone before it went down. But uh, so my boys are fourth generation aviation. I never will forget Matthew uh, was probably eight or nine years old. We were out on the ramp in uh, B 25. 
buddy of mine was flying a B-25, and apparently there was a problem with the, the prop governor or the pre-oiler. It's actually the backside of the same pump, but uh, something was leaking. So there's oil, and it's a right engine, so it leaks anyway. And there's oil all over the place. And, all right, Matthew, grab a rag and help Max out. Oh, Dad, grab a rag. So he can only reach so high because he's like nine, but he wipes down what he can. And, and I stopped by about an hour later, and, you know, Max, you know, how we doing? Uh, oh, big help. Okay. Max looks at him and goes, well, we can't do it today, but what are you going to be doing tomorrow morning? Yeah. And he looks at me and says, yeah, we'll be here. Okay. Uh, will you come on by at 9 o'clock tomorrow morning and, and we'll go for a ride? In a B-25? That's yeah. pretty neat. You guys, That's really anything neat. else need to wipe down? What else? <laughs> exactly. Heck, I would wipe broken, the airplane you know? down. <laughs> <laughs> you know, exactly. yeah, I'll wipe anything down for a ride. And, and he find, you know, wow, the light came on. And uh, what I see is either they'll get that, and I'll be happy to help. And, and we do this, and yeah, but you know, one day we'll go for a ride, or I get to go to an air show for free, or whatever. But I also see a lot of, you know, let's go for a ride, and then. Maybe I'll help you wipe it down. No, it doesn't work like that. Uh, You're absolutely right. They want the uh, payment first. And again, I tell parents all the time, I said, don't be hard on the kid. Be hard on yourself because we as parents set the ground rules for what our kids are going to do. First thing is I tell people, bring them out, ex expose them. So I talk to young kids in schools or maybe in second grade, and they have these great dreams and these great things that they want to do. And then you talk to kids in high school and they've kind of lost it. It's like the light has gone out. And part of that is, I think, we as parents and grandparents are not bringing our kids, exposing them to enough and holding their feet to the fire. I think probably your dad did it. I know my dad did it. Hold the kids' feet to the fire. They're going to hate it while you're doing it, but it pays off in the end. Well, John, tell us uh, once again how uh, the fans of a Renegade Aviator radio show can reach out and find more information about you. I have uh, a website, aircoreaerobatics.net. Don't forget to spell core right with an S. <laughs> and uh, there's also an Aircore Aerobatics Facebook page. And there's a JMAT Aviation Facebook page. I have recently contracted with a, actually my formation partner's daughter to do marketing. And she tells me that we're going to put the all the air show stuff on JMAT Aviation and all of my kids and, and uh, the rebuilding of airplanes on the Air Corps Aerobatics page. So uh, there's both of them there to look at. Excellent. Excellent. John Heil, everybody. Skipper, as they call him. And I really want to uh, thank you for uh, coming on board today on the Renegade Aviator Radio Show. It was fun. Thanks. No problem. <laughs> all right. Take care. The maneuvers Dad is flying would have prepared our young cadet or lieutenant for combat by making him comfortable in all axes of flight and give him the confidence to throw his airplane around the sky. Depending on his service, he'd have an instructor watching from below or sitting behind him and have specific parameters to meet. This would have been the last check ride in the program. Pass, and you're on your way to a fighter. Fail, here's your rifle or your painted gray and underway. Hey, David Costa, the Renegade Aviator, want a free team decal? All you have to do is call my office, 888-366-5256, and leave your name and mailing address, 888-366-5256. We will send you a free Renegade Aviator team decal.
decal. Be the envy of your friends and family. 888-366-5256. It's my way to say thank you, and I'm grateful for you being a fan. Renegade Aviator. So I can hardly wait. Here he is, the host of the Renegade Aviator Radio Show, David Costa. This is so exciting. I am so excited. He paid me to say that. Ha <laughs> ha. David Costa, the Renegade Aviator, where are all the volunteers? Do you want to volunteer with an organization that is keeping these flying pieces of history in the air? And give me a call. I will help you get in touch with someone that really needs your help. Help, not a job. People complain about not having the money to pursue their passion. Kids complain about not knowing what it is they want to do with their life. Hell, adults do the same thing. So you go out to an air show and you see a guy like John Heil flying his World War II advanced trainer and you say, man, I wish I could do that. I wish I could get up close to stuff like that. Boy, does that look fun. Then you leave the air show and you go home. You watch TV, YouTube, or you make people mad on social media talking about politics. This is not a plea for help, but I will speak personally to you for a bit. We operate three Iskra jets for air shows, TS-11 Iskra jet trainers. Why do we operate three? Because we need three to keep one flying. That's a whole inside joke. Another story. But people say they want to help. And what they really want is a ride. So here's the scenario. They show up for a couple of days. They want to chit-chat about aviation. Hang out. Look over your shoulder. Waste your time because you're trying to get work done. And do little, if anything, of what's really necessary. And here's reality. I want to help. Okay? Sweep the hangar, please. What? Oh, I want to help. Can you do me a favor? See all that hardware over there for the jet? Can you organize all that for me? What? (laughs) Or, I want to help. Hey, guys, I bought burgers for the crew. Would you mind starting to grill so we can feed everybody? Hey, when do I get my ride? It takes time, which is why we see few kids hanging out at airports anymore. Time. Many want it now. They want the reward too quickly. Those of us flying air shows, you hear this on my show week after week, have spent decades of crappy, boring, dirty, and menial work before we ever set foot at an air show. So here's the good news. You can too. Show up. Need help finding someone in your area that needs grunts? Call me, 888-366-5256. Bring your kids, bring your grandkids. Please manage them, by the way, 888-366-5256. This is David Costa. I am the Renegade Aviator. See ya. So peace to us.